0: Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Kurt preaches a sermon titled, How to Live Free, from Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. The church is not a mere building, it's us. We are created to receive and radiate God's boundless glory, which is the embodiment of infinite love, endless humility, limitless patience, gentleness, and generosity. In every moment, God graciously shares his glorious presence with us, Experiencing God's freedom isn't just a personal journey. It's a transformative process that influences others. As we embrace His redemptive power, it becomes a beacon, drawing people in and uniting us in the liberating grace of God.
1: And I am um, I'm on the pie-eating committee. I'm one of the judges, and I do accept bribes, which is more pie, okay? So perfect job for me. Uh, so, good morning, by the way. Good so good to see all of you this morning. And uh, one thing that's not on the website, it can never be on the website, is this, right? Woo-hoo. This we get to be together as a family, and that is true whether you've been here a million times or this is your first time. What's true is that you're family. The minute you walk in that door and you sit in those seats, you are family yeah. for all of us. And you are loved, and you are appreciated. And we, yeah, we care for you. Honor and respect to everyone who walks in this place. And as a family who honors and respects and loves each other, we have values that are core values, our vision, our unity, what we call our family values. And they are this. First of all, there's hope beyond our brokenness. Yeah, I say amen to that. Because all of us struggle with brokenness because we live in a broken world, do we not? And broken, and our broken edges, people, as people were broken, and as a world it's broken, and as we go through, broken edges have sharp edges, right? Brokenness has sharp edges, and so we cut each other, and the world as we pass through cuts us, but we have a healer. We have a healer, and so in our brokenness, the hope is that we get to trust and a risen Savior. So Jesus came into this broken world that wasn't necessarily his responsibility. He didn't break it. We did. And he came into the brokenness and into this world of death, and he rescued us. See, the great thing about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the fact that coming in and rescuing us and carrying us from death to life, he conquered death. He literally came in as life itself and conquered death. And so everything else that falls under death, pain, wounds, all that stuff has been conquered as well. And we are being carried into life upon life. And so because that's true of us and the more we receive it, the more we reflect it as we're going to talk about today, we get to be restoration for our community. This community, but the greater community of the Central Coast—that's what God has for us, and that's exciting. It's actually exciting to follow Jesus. I don't know if you—I'm excited. I don't know if you're excited. And what I'm excited—we're going to talk about. We've been in the book of Ephesians for uh, two months now. No one's counting, but we've been in the book of Ephesians for a little bit. And today we're getting into uh, Ephesians starting at the end of 3 and moving into Ephesians chapter 4. And what we're reading today, really, it's the summation of everything that Paul has been talking about. Paul, who is the author of this letter, which is a letter to the church in an ancient Ro- Roman city called Ephesus. Hence the name Ephesians because he's writing to these people Ephesians. What do we call ourselves as um, as Grover, Beecher, Grover Beachers, I, I don't know, so Grover Beachites, Grover Beachians, I don't know, that's Beechin, I think. So anyway, this is the summation of all Paul has been writing about for three chapters, and in a nutshell, he's been writing about grace, 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 grace. And just to give you a little snapshot of what this means, it means this, you're God's favorite you. One of the words we, we learned in the last few weeks is we are God's masterpiece, and that word is poema, which literally means poem. It is what our youth group is called who are meeting this morning over across the street. That's why it's called poema, because each one of you is a unique poem that God has made to bring beauty to the world. You are God's favorite you. In other words, from God's perspective, you are chosen, you are loved, you are forgiven, and you are adored. Amen. God didn't just say this was true of us, He didn't just say it, He showed it by His actions on our behalf. Jesus came into our brokenness and death and rescued us, and it, all at the expense of His own life. That's the grace that Paul's been talking about for chapters. This is grace. Jesus is always giving us his undeserved favor. We have his infinite favor, limitless favor that never ends, which means he is always doing what's best for us. And his grace was most clearly displayed on the cross. It is the highest form of his grace, his love and action. That means that the dividing wall in my own heart, where I go and hide from God because I think he's judging me or condemning me, where I hide my issues and create a mask to perform, it's all gone. There's nothing to hide from because of the grace of Jesus. So that's the point of everything that came before. So what we're going to talk about now is how we live practically in that grace. How do we keep receiving his grace? Okay, and we're gonna. I'm going to give you a sneak peek. This is just, you're going to get the big picture right now. And I'm going to do this via Sesame Street. Anyone remember on Sesame Street the word of the day? Yeah, the word of the day. So how do we, how do we, how do we, Keep receiving God's grace. It is a practice called redemption. What is redemption? What what does it mean, right? So here's the idea. Just this is our big overview today. The spiritual practice of redemption is how we experience God's grace in tangible ways. It's a practice. We have to keep practicing. It is the key to living a life full of God's grace. So what is redemption really? How do we keep practicing it? These are the questions we're going to answer today. So before we get going, I I have one question for you first. Do I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts? Thank you. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. Uh, Zed, thank you for Zed leading him to Share oceans, which was the song ten years ago that was my anchor point when you were moving me from living in Vegas for twenty-five years to the Central Coast. (sighs) You're crazy, God! How good you are! Thank you that we're going to see it this morning. So we give you permission to come in and wreck us in good ways, to take away the things that uh, the areas of resistance where we've been resisting you. God, we receive all of your grace again and. In our fear, God, take our fear. We give it to you. All of our anxiety and worry and our sense of self-condemnation and judgment, we surrender it to you and we receive your grace, your unmerited favor, your love for us, and your adoration and celebration. God, I pray in the authority you've given each of us as your beloved children, I command that, God, that only your Holy Spirit will prosper in this place. We command everything opposed to you to be bound up and quieted and sent to you to be judged. And Jesus, in this place, we receive the fullness of your grace. We expect experiences of your love this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's read Ephesians, the end of Ephesians 3. These are the last verses, and it's going to take us right into four. So here we go. Can you read this with me? Will you read this? Here we go. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right. So, the church. It says, to be... To him be glory in the church, right? The church, as hopefully some of us know, hopefully, if you don't know this, the church is not a building. This is not the church. This is just a messy place we all meet in, right? We are the church. It's us. Each of you in this space, we are the church. This is the shelter keeping the rain off the church, right? And as the church, we're designed... God designed each one of us to receive and reflect his immeasurable glory to a watching world. So, what is God's glory? It's him. God is infinite love, it's who he is. God is unending humility. That's where humility comes from. It is who God is. God is infinite patience, infinite gentleness, and generosity. Generosity, that's grace. Infinite generosity, that's his glory. And God generously gives his glory to us, the church, in every moment of our lives. His glory is constantly being poured out into the very center of our being, into our heart of hearts, as Andy called it last week, our inner being, so that he can be constantly on display, not just for our benefit in our lives, but for the people around us as well. So as the church, God is doing more than you can ask or imagine in your lives. Do you like the sound of that? Only a few of you like the sound of God doing more than you can ask or imagine. This is fun stuff. This is exciting. Do you you want to see God do more than you can ask or imagine in your life? Okay, good, I'm glad you're with me. <laughs> Keep drinking that coffee, we'll get there. <sighs> when, we choose, when we choose to receive what he's giving us of himself, his glory, we will also reflect him to the people around us. And that's what this is all about. We reflect God's glory to the degree we choose to receive him in each moment. That's what it means to be God's glory in the church. That's attractive, not just to us, but to everyone around us. So here's a question. Have you ever experienced God's glory at work in your life doing more than you can ask or imagine? Well, that's the question actually that I asked a group of college students. A couple weeks ago, there's this thing called Jesus Burgers. Craig, where are you, Craig? Craig went and grilled Jesus Burgers on Friday. It's every other week up on Cal Poly com- Campus. A group of fired up young adults in their 20s go up with some help from some of us older guys, and they grill burgers at fresh- in the freshman dorms, and they hand those burgers out, and they talk about Jesus to whoever shows up. And I got to go, yeah. Men's ministry, this is our opportunity to go be the grillers, the killer grillers, so they can... Go and just hang out with the, the freshmen and talk to, about Jesus to them. So I got to do that. I, I, I am not a killer griller. I cannot grill. That's my wife's job. She's the man in this relationship, really. It's true. Ask her. So I asked a group of college students while I was getting to just hang out with them. I asked them, hey, have you ever experienced God? Jesus doing more than you can ask or imagine in your life, and they had no answers for me. They kind of looked at me blankly. One girl started talking about her Catholic upbringing, and as they stumbled through that, one guy in particular named Luke said, well, have you ever experienced God's grace and his goodness and more than you can ask or imagine? I was like, I'm so glad you asked me that question. And then I told them this story of going on a silent retreat. I go go every year on a six-day silent retreat. I'm going in the end of January again. Um, The first time I went was about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. And everyone was taking bets that I wouldn't last two days. And I lasted all six because something incredible happened to me in the middle of that retreat. God... In the silence, it took three days of me being silent before I'd led him into this area of resistance. But he highlighted a father wound that I'd been carrying for thirty years and had never given over to him. And he uh, was—he started to highlight this father wound of this moment of pain in my life, where my father, in his anger, grabbed me by my my hair when I was seventeen, while I hung out and a group of my friends out on the street when I was grounded. I had stepped across my grandfather's street into the street. Uh, my grandfather's yard into the street was talking to my cousin and a couple friends. And my father, because the, the, my dad, the worst thing he could do was defy him. That's what he called it, defiance. And he came down. He was always bigger than me. He came down, grabbed me by my hair. Stay grabbed me by my hair and started pulling me. So he's standing up. I'm being pulled along, bent over, like stumbling along. And God highlights this wound, right? And I've been holding on to this wound for 30 years. So my hands are like frozen to the wheel. You know what I mean? I, can't, I don't know how to let go. And so the cool thing is when you're on these spiritual retreats, these silent retreats, they give you a spiritual director. And their job is simply to help you process the the last 24 hours. So it is a silent retreat for 23 and a half hours. But you got one half hour, you get to meet with somebody and tell them what's been going on. They listen to you and then guide you into uh, what they think could help you in the next 24 hours. And so I got, the next morning, I got to tell my spiritual director, who actually is one of the Catholic monks, in the monastery up in Slow. I, I had to go to almost a sequoia to meet this guy. <laughs> Three rivers in Tulare County, if you know where that is. And so he starts listening to me and he goes, okay, here's, here's my suggestion for tomorrow. Go read John 20. where I think it's John 20, where Jesus is telling Thomas, go ahead, Thomas. You, don't doubt, you doubt that I have risen from the dead? So here I am. Touch the wounds in my hands and put your hand in this wound in my side. And he goes, go read that today. I think that would be good for you. So I go read it, and as I'm reading it, holy cow. Jesus! I just heard Jesus say, Kurt, I've never held anything back from you, ever. All of who I am is yours, including my wounds. You have access to every part of me, including my wounds, but you are keeping me out of your wounds you want to talk about conviction? And I was like, I want to let you in, but I don't know how. And he says, what moves your heart when your head is stuck? I said, music. And I started looking through a playlist on my phone because there's no Wi-Fi up there, so whatever's on your phone, is that that's what you got. So my wife had downloaded an album that I had not listened to, But the lady, Lacey Sturm, who was a part of a Christian band called Flyleaf, this was her solo album. And I had just finished reading her life story on that retreat. I had no idea that I had an album from her on my phone. And as I'm looking through her songs, the last one's called Run to You. And it's her singing from God's perspective and saying, you can push me out. These are the the lyrics of the chorus. You can push me out, but if you call my name, I'll run to you. And in that moment, I ran to him. I called out, Jesus, come into this wound. And in that moment, I had this experience, more than I can ask or imagine, had this experience of Jesus replaying that that experience with my dad, that terrible wound of my dad grabbing me by my hair and pulling me so that I was bent over while he was standing up. But there, in that moment, I was like watching a movie in my mind, But there is Jesus bent over as I'm bent over, right so that his mouth is in my ear going, I know that you don't see me or hear me in this moment, but I'm here and I love you. And this will not destroy you. And at the same time, he was standing up straight, talking into my dad's ear. Pete, I love you. I know that you can't see me or hear me, but I'm with you. And this will not destroy your relationship with your son. And in that experience, more than I can ask or imagine, that wound was lifted, and I've never dealt with it again. And that's what I got to share with Luke, who asked that question. And him and his three friends were just dumbfounded. He sat and talked to me for another 40 minutes. And by the end of that conversation, Luke started to cry, and I'm like, tell me what these tears are about. He goes, I just met you, and you've been so vulnerable, so authentic, and so generous to me. And I said, that's because God is generous to me. And how could I ever hold on to that and not give it away? And he began to confess how lost he felt in his life as a freshman, And we got to talk, and I got to pray with him, and I got to invite him. I gave him my number so that he would call me. That is what it looks like when we experience what God can do for us more than we can ask or imagine. And maybe you've experienced that, but do you want to experience it more if you have? And if you've never experienced that, do you want to experience God doing more than you can ask or imagine? Well, here's how we do it. Here's how we keep experiencing God's grace like that, his undeserved favor, in ways that go beyond anything we can ask or imagine. It is the word redemption. Redemption, we keep practicing redemption, which is really exchange work, is what it is. It's exchanging our junk and receiving all of God's goodness. And we're gonna talk more about that but here in Paul's words in the next chapter of Ephesians, these are going to help us put this into practice. And I'm going to blow my nose because, hang on one second. I guess I put this in, oh, did you mute me? Thank you. I guess I put this in my pocket. Shh, don't tell anyone. All right, Ephesians 4.1. Can we read this together? As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Notice how Paul describes himself. Right here at the beginning of this chapter, he calls himself what? A prisoner? For the Lord. That's an interesting perspective, isn't it? So it wasn't really how anyone else saw his circumstances. See, Rome was the world power at this time. It was a one-world government in the first century. And Paul was a prisoner in a Roman prison because he wouldn't stop telling people that Jesus was the true w- ruler of the world and not the emperor of Rome. That's called treason. And so on the charge of treason, Paul, the Roman government threw Paul in prison. And unlike our modern prisons... That meant Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Literally chained to another human being who guarded him and if he tried to escape, was ready to kill him. That's what, how everyone else saw the situation, but Paul calls himself a prisoner, not of Rome, but for the Lord. If we were in that situation, where would we place our focus? <laughs> on the physical circumstances right in front of us, or on what God was doing behind the scenes. I know me. I like to see the things right up front in my face, right? I don't really look, I'm not good at looking beyond them without God's help. The fact that Paul calls himself a prisoner for Jesus reveals the way he chose to see his situation. Even though he's physically chained To a soldier in every moment, Paul literally considered himself to be chained only to Jesus and all his glory. Since the glory of Jesus is our life, as we said, Jesus' glory is life itself and our freedom, that's what he experienced while chained to different Roman soldiers 24-7. He may have been a Roman prisoner externally, But Paul lived free in his inner being, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, to walk in that freedom, to be chained to Jesus' freedom. That's grace, and that's redemption. So what, I I had a, a wise mentor of mine, ironically, and by no accident, his name was Paul as well, And he would tell me this all the time in my early years of pastoring. He said, what you are called with is what you are called to. What you are called with is what you are called to. What did God call us with? He called us with Jesus' death and resurrection to free us from our sin and death. Jesus entered this world of death where we all live, and carried us out the other side into his resurrection life. So every ending in our lives now can be a new beginning if we stay chained to Jesus. It's life. Before Jesus came, all of us were just chained to sin and death. And what is sin and death, really? They're simply the absence of life. They're nothing. They're emptiness. I said this before, John, in his gospel, in his account of Jesus' life, calls sin and death darkness, and darkness is simply the absence of light. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So death is just simply the absence of life. It's a vacuum. And our practices, when we choose death, those are our sin is just eating death, little by little, until we consume the whole meal. It's all emptiness, that's all it is. So what does God want to do? We look at our sin and we look at death and we just see corruption, we see junk, we see, feel dirty, but when if God sees our sin and death as simply an emptiness, what do you think he wants to do in the emptiness of our lives? Fill us up with his life. And what is life? It is the full opposite of the things I just mentioned, which are this. Death is anxiety. Death is worry, shame, fear, unworthiness. Rejection, isolation, and hatred, all of those are just empty things. But the opposite is true because life is the full opposite of that. Peace rather than anxiety and worry. Joy instead of fear. Love and acceptance instead of shame, unworthiness rejection, isolation, and hatred. That's life. Jesus took the emptiness of our sin and death, and in exchange, he gives us the fullness of his life. So here's what this looks like. This is what redemption is. Anyone ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? Okay, maybe you went there because you were a kid. Anyone here who were kids, went to Chuck E. Cheese, okay. Anyone take their kids there or their grandkids there? Okay. Chuck E. Cheese is this fun place where you get to go play games. And and as you're going around, you know, having fun, living life, you play these games and it spits out these tickets, right? Which are really worthless pieces of paper. <laughs> Come on. They, they, they're nothing. But then you have to carry them all over the place. So you got rolls of tickets, right? But people aren't worried about carrying that stuff because they know what they get to do with them, right? <laughs> they get to take them to the redemption center, which is on the picture. And then the redemption center, you get to exchange those worthless pieces of paper for something you really want, a prize, right? That's, that's redemption. At its core... Redemption is exchange work. And that is how we live in grace. It is the practice of giving God all the things we're holding on to. The lies we believe about God and ourselves and the people around us and our circumstances. The anxiety or worry or fear or shame or whatever negative emotion we're hanging on to. The hurts and wounds we've taken on and the people that hurt us. And also the people we care about, all the burdens we carry for those we're concerned about. And redemption is exchanging all of those burdens and receiving all of who God is to us. As a wise person once told me, you can either choose to care for people or you carry people. And they are not the same thing. So do we care for the people we love by handing them over to Jesus and receiving his peace and joy even as they're driving us bonkers? (laughs) Or do we carry all that junk and all the stuff that they have done to us or that we're concerned about them? Do we carry that ourselves? There is a huge difference between caring people and caring for people. That's how redemption works. God invites us to surrender every burden and receive his immeasurable and unimaginable glory in return, all that we could ask, beyond what we could ask for imagine. That's redemption, and redemption is our freedom because it is the way we practice receiving his grace, his unmerited favor. That's what Jesus called us into. That's the life he calls us into and to live that life in a worthy manner means to keep practicing this exchange work to keep practicing the spiritual practice of redemption and let's be honest if we already knew even if we already knew what redemption practi- practically looks like in our life we are forgetful people we forget to pr- practice this exchange work and we start carrying this crap on ourselves again right on our shoulders it's it happens all the time Well, hey, that's not a surprise to God. You you know what the most given command, and I don't mean God's command, the greatest command, which is love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. I'm talking about the most given command through the scriptures and across human history that God has given to us as humans. You know what the most given command that God has said to humans is? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He says that to humans more than anything else. And you know what the second most given command is? Do not forget. Because we do. So do not fear and do not forget to not fear. <laughs> That's Jesus' response to us. That's God's response. We are forgetful people. So what Paul writes next is the key to unlocking the practice of redemption so we can constantly experience it. It's a reminder of how to live in this glorious grace that he's giving us, more than we can ask or imagine. Would you read this with me? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Okay, as a prisoner for Jesus, living in the life and freedom Jesus purchased first, Paul now reveals the way to experience God's glorious life and freedom in our daily living. He says, be humble and gentle. Now, do you and I have humility and gentleness in us apart from God's grace? Nay, we do not. They are literally God's gracious gift to us, which he is always giving us. Remember, humility is him. Gentleness is Him. Love is who He is, and He is always giving Himself to us. Are we receiving? That's the issue. So, why don't we receive? So, when we don't receive what God is giving us, when we don't have open hands, it's because our hands are clasped around something else. You cannot receive if your hands are full right? And that is true in our hearts and our heads as well. So what are some of the things that we hold on to rather than these gifts of humility and gentleness and patience and love? Well, what's the opposite of humility? Pride. 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 So these are the things like that we hold on to. So, okay, let's define pride. Before we can know what we're holding on to, we need to know what it is. Yes. <laughs> but here's the, here's the key, right? What, is, what does pride look like? Well, to, to surrender it, we have to know what it looks like. So here, here is the biblical perspective on pride. We're going to put that up. Improper and, and excessive self-esteem known as conceit or arrogance. Okay. In other words, pride can be defined as elevating one's opinions and thoughts above what God is saying. We put our thoughts and our decision-making above God. So when God tells us we're beloved and we feel toxic and we feel judged, that's actually pride because it's opposing that God says that you are his beloved child. So when you are thinking negatively of yourself, it is actually opposition to God and that's pride. So here's some, here's some examples of pride to help us see how we put ourselves above God. Here's my pride on display. I'm gonna talk about me, okay? Speaking of pride, I'm gonna talk about me. My pride on display. Whenever I dwell on the past, like I was doing as I held on to that father wound for 30 years, that's pride, and not letting Jesus into that space to heal me Holding on to that wound and the unforgiveness towards my father for 30 years rather than handing it over to Jesus so that I could receive in exchange his forgiveness and also then receive it and then reflect it to my father, that's pride. So when we dwell on the past rather than give our past to God, that's pride. Here's a saying that God has taught me from that healing experience. We can't change our past. But God can change our perspective of our past, and that changes everything. Here's another one, which is the opposite. The opposite is also true. Pride is on display when I worry about my future. I'm not talking about dreaming of the future. I'm not talking about planning for the future. I'm talking about downright dirty worry, okay? Only God is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Master of the past, present, and future. He abides in all of these places. He lives in all three. I am only Kurt who is. Right now. I'm so finite, I can only handle this present moment. In my pride, I want to think that I can worry about the future and live there, but I can't. See, I, I can't even live in the present half the time. I'm, I'm, I'm like so poor, I can't even pay attention, right? Most of the time. So when I worry about the future, I'm trying to be God and I suck at it, okay? There's, a, there's an old saying that, uh, I, there's a song I really love, really heavy music. I listen to really heavy music. And there's a song that starts off this way. It says, you ought to stop playing God because you are not good at it and the position is taken. I, that, that's pride when I am worried about the future I'm playing God Okay, pride is also on display whenever I make decisions based on when, what I think the results will be well if I do this maybe this will happen who's in charge of the consequences of our actions God is not us here's what, really what free will looks like we get to make our decisions that's it that's free will that's where it ends. People get confused about this. You are not in charge of the consequences. You can throw a rock, and whatever once that rock leaves your hand, that was your choice. Whatever that rock does, and where it goes, that's in God's hands. So when I'm trying to make decisions based on what I think will happen, Pride. And last, it's also pride when I make calculated decisions based on how I think other people will respond to what I do. That's called manipulation and control, and that's pride. So those are just some of the ways that I hold on to pride. Maybe you, you know, maybe you relate to some of them. But what happens when we choose to hold on to pride rather than surrender it to Jesus and receive his humility in exchange? we are holding on to death. It is emptiness, it is death. When we don't accept that we're finite and God is infinite and receive his humility, we turn to other things to deal with our problems, right? People, shopping, alcohol, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whatever it is, right? It's all emptiness, it's all death. See, how we can circumvent turning to our addictions if we just are willing to surrender the thing underneath them, the worry that we're holding on to that we need to feel better about. Our pride kills our relationships. People don't want to be around us anymore. It kills every hope we have of living differently. This is also true when we hold on to our harsh ways of dealing with people and our problems rather than handing them over and receiving Jesus' gentleness in return. So all the things on that list, can we bring Ephesians 4.2 back up for me? Everything on that list has an opposite, and here's the key. We can turn to pride rather than humility. We can hold on to harshness rather than gentleness. We can hold on to impatience and hatred rather than patience and love. But here's the beautiful gift of God's grace. When we are stuck in pride or hatred, God gives us awareness of whatever we're holding on to. He makes us aware when we're feeling anxious. How many times do we feel anxious or shame or hatred and try to run from it? The awareness of that anxiety. The anxiety is not a gift from God. The awareness of that thing we're carrying. Anxiety is a burden. Shame is a burden. All of it is burden. Hatred is a burden. All of it is emptiness and death, and it's a burden. And God, awareness of that burden that we are carrying in that moment is God's gracious gift to us. It's a gift to feel that anxiety. Whoa. No, because if, it, if we're not feeling it, if we're not aware of it, what are we going to do? We're gonna, we're gonna operate out of it anyway and we're going to try to find something to deal with it that's not God. So hardwired into this gift of awareness is an invitation to give that thing over to him so he can carry it for us. And God's grace will keep us moving into that. That's why one of my favorite script, scriptures to this day, which is actually in our faith statement for our church, is this, it's it's Jesus' words and one of the accounts of his life is this, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. That's exchange work. So a friend of mine, he was in a really dark place, weighed down by a multitude of questions about God of which he couldn't seem to find answers to satisfy him and we had discussed these answers on Nauseam over the years. And here he was, who's still carrying all of these questions, like, what about hell? And what about this? And what about that? And as I'm listening to him for the 10 hundredth millionth time, wrestling through that, these things in the la- over the last few years, I just, in that moment, this one particular moment, I heard Jesus say to me, for him, Maybe that's Jesus calling right now. (laughs) Jesus said to, through me, I just heard Jesus say, Clayton, 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 you have so many questions for me, but I only have one for you. Can I carry those burdens for you? And let me tell you, those words came out of my mouth, swung around the back of my head and smacked me in the face. (laughs) And they sunk deep into my heart and I've carried them. And this is what the word, biblical word conviction looks like to me today. This is what I hear, this is what conviction sounds like to me. And it it's Jesus saying, Kurt, oh Kurt, you are carrying so much. Can I carry it for you? So what we're gonna do this morning is give you a chance to do that exchange work, to stop carrying those things and let Jesus carry them for you. During communion, we're gonna do things a little differently we're going to break the bread, but we're not going to take the bread and eat it like we usually do during communion. We're going to hold the bread and the wine after, But We're going to have on screen the process of exchange work, a prayer that you can pray. There are things that we're all holding on to, let's be honest, right now. And if we will choose to let these things go in this moment, and receive whatever God wants to give us in response. Give him our pride and receive his humility. Give him our hatred and receive his love. Give him our wounds and receive his healing. Give him our anxiety and receive his peace. We will experience God doing more than we can ask or imagine. And it isn't just for us. No, no, it's not just for us. Look at this last verse, Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Unity and peace. That's what happens when we receive God's healing and his peace and his love. We reflect what we receive and everyone around us sees us having these redemption experiences and they're not only for us. They, they become our story and as we share our stories of God's work, of doing his incredible work in our lives, They're changed by our stories. And as people witness how we keep exchanging things, they will be encouraged to do the same. And it brings us into unity. As we grow in peace with God and each other, it brings us into unity. Remember that college student that I told you about, Luke, and how at the end of that story, he told me, you just, I just met you and you've done, you've just been so honest and vulnerable I, and I'm lost too. He reflected back, right? I received God's peace and his love and, he, and I reflected it and he received it and began reflecting it back to me. As you can imagine, I left that conversation with him floating on air. So here's the question. Do you want to have experiences like that? see God work in you more than you can ask or imagine. Then let's do this together right now as we bring the band forward. Can I pray for us? May I pray? <laughs> it's good. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the way that you keep pouring yourself out onto us. God, we, ex- we just accept that we're finite and yet we don't want to accept our finiteness. So we again (laughs) accept that we are the ones who are finite, and it is our resistance to that fact that keeps us from receiving from you. So we surrender our pride, and we receive your humility, and we accept our finiteness, and we receive your infinite love, your infinite patience, and whatever it is you want to do right now in this place, we're safe with you, God. We're safe with you. you for safe. So God, I pray for greater experiences of your love and your favor over us in Jesus name. So Here's what we're going to do. I need my mic. Here's what we're going to do. They're going to sing a song. Lori, can I have that bread? Would you hand me that bread? Thank you. And we're about to take communion. They're going to sing this song and we're just going to, the lyrics won't be up there. The, the exchange prayer is going to be up there for you to do. So you're going to come forward, get, your, get the bread and get the wine and be seated again and sit with this and just ask God to show you where are your resistances? Where's your pride that you need to surrender? What are the things that you need to give him? Let him show you. And as he does, give it to him and ask him to show you what is it he wants to give you in, in return and let him show you. Do that exchange work. And it all started because Jesus' body and his, and his blood were spilled out and broken for us. And that's what we remember in this, what these elements represent. The body of Christ broken for us and his blood spilled out. So when you're ready, you can come forward and get these elements On the night before Jesus died, he held up the bread that they were eating and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he held up one of the glasses, the cups of wine and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we dismiss, I just want to remind you that what we just did in this this gospel exchange, this redemption work, this is what we do at Table Talk every week. Which happens after each service. So literally, can we put those, can we put that back up on screen? I just want to show you this. Uh, that's a nice picture. But the last the last slide for communion. Good reminder though, that's the redemption work. We'll get there. Jesus, we give you our impatience and we receive your patience. So this is actually taken from our Table Talk guide, the discussion guides that are out on the info booth every week, they're also available across the Table Talk. This is what we do every Sunday after each service. You are invited, as we end right now, you are invited, invited, not obligated, invited to come across the street to our offices, to the back patio. We have discussion group leaders. This is where this stuff goes from head to heart as we're talking about it with each other. So you're invited. You're also, as you're dismissed, you're also invited to come up for prayer if you'd like. Have a great week.
0: Pastor Kurt Flagel is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website www.mycoastal.org